25 days ago, Carleen ambled into a trap and was caught on day one. Sandra and Mel trusted the wrong ghost and were caught at Gretna Green on day seven. Jamie couldn't hold back the river in Dorset and was caught on day 11. And Majid reached the peak, day straight, of his experience on day 19. Welcome to the final episode of Your Time on the Run, the Hunted podcast from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harnstone, and joining me for the final time this series is my fellow Brit who never leaves the house without eight days worth of clothes, three Rice Krispie squares and half a bag of sweets, Anthony Williams. <laughs> Good morning. Oh, I had that line lined up for later. Never mind. <laughs> uh, Are you ready for yours, Michelle? <laughs> here we go. And the lady who creates a YouTube video every time she holds a man's legs, Michelle Fisdenovan. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. <laughs> I thought I'd give you a special one for the final. Oh, so special. And after six weeks and 25 days on the run. I think I know the answer to the next question, but we have four winners, so we're happy. Oh, oh so happy. God, yes. Literally. Given that Bob and Alex were trending on Twitter for about three hours after the finale at least, before I went to bed, I'd say that most of the UK is happy as well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. It, was, it, was a, it was a great ending to a great series. It just all played out really well in the final episode. Even though I was reasonably confident that Bob wasn't getting caught, they really went hard to try and convince me otherwise. Oh, totally. They shook me. Completely shook me. I was midway. Oh, I, I sent you a message going, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it totally got me. Well done. Well done, writers, producers, etc. I would say that this is the best finale we've had so far. It was proper edge of the sea stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. What about US? The That US finale with them running... Trying to run. That's yeah, good. the US finale has the asterisk of all the sort of, oh, we get to know what bank you're going to stuff, though. And mm. I will not let this finale off the hook for that sort of stuff as well, but we will get there. Yeah, mm. yeah. But uh, a certain Mr. Saunders had a wonderful reaction when I was coming home yesterday. He just sent me a message, all in capitals, saying, Holy Jesus, Hunted was intense. Oh, it was. It was... <laughs> yeah, fabulous. Like, I was just lay there on Thursday evening just going, oh my god, this is the best. Yep, I, I managed about ten minutes of writing notes, watching live before I just gave up. I was like, I can't write notes while this is happening, <laughs> so I had to rewatch this morning to write them. <laughs> well, it got to the point where usually I write on sort of four sides of A5 at most. On my last side of A5, I was writing in tiny writing to get everything in. <laughs> I had so many notes. No, I wrote the biggest yes I've ever written in my life (laughs) on my final page. And it actually broke the paper. (laughs) And I was hitting my table so hard that I thought, okay, I'm going to break it because it's glass. Like, I've got to stop. I've got to stop. I've got to find another way to let this out. (laughs) So in summary, we quite liked the finale, really. It was all right. Yeah. Take a look. Yeah. So previously nine fugitives left Manchester's St. Peter's Square in an attempt to evade capture for 25 days for a share of £100,000. Carleen was caught early by Tonneton and Julie. Sandra and Mella got binned in Gretna Green. Jamie sank in Dorset and Madge's friend got him caught in the Peak District, leaving just four people still on the run. Freemason Bob Ayling and his son Alex decided to split to evade capture. And Milkmen and Swing Singers Joe and Dan ended the previous episode with a live gig dedicated to O. Peter Blexley from a pub in Preston as the hunters closed in. Ha <laughs> ha. And in between 
the episodes five and six, Joe and Dan actually released most of that gig on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, and it was brilliant. <laughs> it was so funny. I know for a fact that Ant and I got DM'd it. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually there was two videos that came out. There's the one that they kind of publicly put out, but there is another one on their YouTube channel where you actually get to see them being introduced by uh, another act, which I think is the key to how it all worked. Oh, can you can you send me that link after? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so it it looks like it was actually live, but Joe and Dan were sort of gate crashing a gig by another pair. Yeah, so it looked like there was a another male duo performing, and then Joe and Dan kind of came in, did about seven minutes, I think, live streamed it, disappeared, then the others carried on. So I I think how it worked is when they phoned to hear the gig, they were hearing the gig. It just wasn't Joe and Dan. They'd already gone. Mm. Very clever. Very clever. Still scary, though. Scary. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's Definitely. balls of steel. <laughs> and the hunters do miss Joe and Dan and offer everyone in the pub £500 for info. And predictably, no one bites. Oh, I don't know. They were really helpful. One person told them they'd gone on a tandem and someone else said they'd left yeah. in a microlight. How helpful <laughs> do you want them to be? Northern humour at its finest. Something tells me those people weren't entirely sober as well. <laughs> that could be <laughs> true. <laughs> there was a tiny bit of day drinking at the Plower Eves. I think there mm. may have been. So on day 22, the remaining fugitives get their extraction info on a USB stick. And as soon as I heard that, I was basically brought out in hives and I thought, they're going to give them the info, aren't they? They're yeah. going to give them the info. Yeah. Because we have been conditioned from Hunted US last year to expect the fact that HQ, for some reason, just get their location whenever mm-hmm. they reveal the extraction info. Yeah, although to be fair, they didn't get where the extraction point was, just where the fugitives were when they got the extraction, which I think is yeah. Yeah, it's not too bad. For me, it's more the fact that they didn't give them any warning that this was going to happen. In the US, yeah. they did. Yeah, that's true. They did, they did get a moment to think about, okay... From here on in, they're going to know what's going on, so what do we do about that? Whereas these poor guys just plug it in and, oh, by the way, we know where you are now. P.S. Here's my PowerPoint slide. We've just told everyone where you are. And Joe and Dan are in Burton Fleming in Yorkshire and have been lent a car by one of their friends. And the extraction info is that at 3pm on June the 8th, which is a rare bit of them actually telling us what date this was filmed, Mm-hmm. Fugitives must board the Rebel Lady passenger ferry from Greenway Key to get their share of the money, and opening the file has revealed their location to HQ. And at this point, I must point out that Stephen, friend of the podcast, did identify that boat perfectly correctly. He did, which is quite amazing. Wow. <laughs> I have no, no idea how you do stuff like that, so things like that just bowl me over. Well done. It just so happens that the extraction point was in Devon, but he did manage to pinpoint the exact passenger ferry that they would be getting on, which is very impressive. Yeah. So kudos to you, Stephen. You somehow <laughs> have managed to outdo me and Ant in the sad stakes. <laughs> oh, look. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex is in Rygate, and he writes the info on a scrap of paper after leaving the shop where he used the computer. Mm. I think I have been to that shop. Really? Yes, because my brother lives down at Hawley, and we used to go to Rygate when I used to go over there and to go shopping. There's some shops in Rygate and a train station that we used to 
take the train somewhere to. And I'm pretty sure that used to be a gift shop. It's an office now. But I saw it and I went, oh, my God, I think I've been in that place. Wow. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, just skipping back a minute back to Joe and Dan, I did love the carrying the bike helmets around to make it, make it look like the bikes, but there was the slight giveaway of you also had a flat cap on, Joe. <laughs> and I happen to know that uh, Joe has just become a father as well. Oh, congrats, Joe. Oh, congrats. That's the reason why Dan has been doing a lot of the, the videos online on his own. It's ah. because Joe is off being a father. Oh, awesome. Brilliant. Mm. And the woman who helps Alex rats him out immediately, as soon as the hunters ring. What is that about? What is wrong with these people? There's many things wrong with these people. <laughs> the fact that they weren't even offered any money is more the, the point. Yeah, I know. What, what's the yeah. incentive? Well, you've just met this really nice guy who's, you know, super lovely, and then someone rings you up and oh, he's gone now, so I'll just give him away. Where's, where's the loyalty? Come on. Did either of you have a look at Ask Blacks? No, I didn't get a chance. I was really busy yesterday. No, because I've only just finished the episode literally 20, half an hour ago, and I can't go on Twitter. I can't go on anywhere until I've watched it. <laughs> I'm so frustrated. He didn't answer many of the questions, to be fair. But one of the ones he did answer was about whether he was surprised how much help the public gave Bob and Alex. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I thought the public were always on our side. Yeah, right. And the answer to that, Black, yeah. is, have you seen the edits? Because, no, in the UK, it's much more on the fugitive sides than the hunters. Maybe in the US. The US, I'll give you the fact that the hunters are a lot more revered. Not in the UK. Hmm. And if Ellie Lust is involved in the Dutch one, I would suspect that the Dutch are much more reverent towards the, the police as well. Uh, to be fair, if Ellie Lust asked me to give any information, I would not say no. <laughs> one of the hunters on the Dutch version is a lady called Ellie Lust, who's a, a real-life police detective still, I think. But she was also on Vidim a couple of years ago, and was the, the proponent of Eta Discipline. <laughs> Do you two yeah. like her or something? Oh, she's awesome. Yeah, we're just intimidated by her. She, she is very right, okay. scary. <laughs> she's very intense. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Bob is in Chillingston, and Hunters, Mark and Carl are only 20 minutes away. Da, da, da. It's getting scary. There was so much where we're on to Bob in this episode. <laughs> it was too much, too much. I think pretty much anyone watching the episode live thought, hmm, three of them are going to get away. I'm not sure about Bob just yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I, I think we were led to believe that. I think they've done a really good job of setting up that will-they-won't-they they with Bob because you picked it up really early on that the split might mean that Bob doesn't make it to save Alex. There was lots of dialogue pointing towards that all the way through all six episodes. So I think they did a great job of bit of misdirection there. Yeah, as do I. And Alex does drop his scrap of paper down a drain, which just leads to one of the funniest things I've <laughs> ever seen on Hunted. Because, oh my god. <laughs> because Paul and Michelle are closing in on him. Uh, <laughs> Alex thankfully gets a lift with the wonderful exchange of, can I get a lift with you? As long as you don't have a bomb in there. <laughs> No, we've just got three Rice Krispie squares, eight days of clothing, and an open bag of sweets. <laughs> Brilliant. And HQ do identify the grate thanks to the CCTV that is outside the shop. 
and Paul and Michelle get the unenviable task of having to empty the drain. Yeah, and I, I, I love yeah. that scene. But I love how the hunter's first instinct was, oh, the USB stick's there, it's got to be there, and they're going for it. But I, I need to re-watch this again, because uh, both times I've watched it, I, I think I've seen something. It looks to me like when Alex drops it, it sticks in the top of the grate. That's what the, I thought on the left. Yeah, and when they pick it up, I think it's still wedged in there. I'm pretty yes. sure it is. So they're, they're sure spending all this time looking through, and then they find this dirty, filthy, wet scrap of paper. I'm convinced the actual scrap of paper is still wedged in in the top of that grate. So I don't mm. know what went on there. Yeah, worth worth having a look. I'm going to put it through Premiere. Didn't you Pro think that, Michael? I didn't spot that, no, because I was furiously writing notes, Michelle. I've only watched <laughs> the episode I did, once. I did. As soon as it happened, I'm thinking, oh, my God, push it down. Push it down. They're yeah. just going to see it. I'm I'm almost positive it was there, and on every shot of that grate, I think you can still see it. Like even when it when it's showing the live feed back at HQ, I'm sure you can see it sticking in the top. But yeah, you I, can, you can, because yeah. I was looking at it like it was like this magnet to my eyes. Yeah, yeah. How did a team of professional and, and, hunters not spot this? Because they're not as good as us, Michael. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then she got that manky bit of paper out, and then she's trying to fix it with a glove. I'm thinking. <laughs> Jesus, love, if you really want to see what's on it, you're going to have to take the gloves off. You're not getting anywhere. And it, it's not the first time that I've ever said this sentence on the podcast, but Michelle holds his legs, and it's almost a YouTube video. <laughs> Who said that? Was that? Who said it? It was someone from HQ teasing her saying, this is almost a YouTube video. It was funny. I like the way she kind of waved at the driver going past as if to go, it's all right, mate, nothing to see. Oh, it was, just goes good. head down a drain. Don't Don't worry. <laughs> That's the only bit of the episode that I, I've constantly rewatched because, spoilers, you don't even get a choice this week. That's the banner. Of course. Yeah, so I, I, kept, I kept rewatching it just to get the perfect shot of it. And it's just her sort of grinning at the, the van driver, just going, nothing yeah. to see here. Yeah. <laughs> but it made me giggle every time I watched it. I must have watched it three or four times just to, to make sure I get the perfect shot. Yeah, that was brilliant. And Paul speculates that Alex set them up and he's not a happy buddy. He's not a happy. Although Alex's response to Paul about that is amazing. Yes. And Alex has a celebratory Rice Krispie Square. Of course. After getting away. Yeah, what else would you do? Have some Rice Krispies, mate. Well done. You deserve it. Have two. Well, you can't have two. No, have three. You've got three. Have three. (laughs) (laughs) And Joe and Dan leave the car in Devon and set off on their bikes again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The good old tried tried and tested... Scoot away on your bikes. Um, it must have been so tempting to stay in the car. <laughs> I really was thinking, these guys are really planning this well because it would have been so much easier just to think, ah, we'll get away with it. It'll be fine. It would, but also if anyone identifies the car, mm. they're, they're on their tails, whereas you can't really identify a bike. No, and, that, and that's exactly my point. Is they, they clearly were thinking very, very clearly about what they were doing because to... to I mean, everything that we saw in this episode, I think, gave away much more than we'd seen before from these guys about how well-planned this whole journey was. You know, the fact that they got a lift to a van that had their bikes already in it, they they had a car lined up, they knew where they were going to ditch the car and then go buy bikes and go on the B roads. It, it all felt... And, and I think there was a brilliant contrast with Bob kind of acting in the moment and being really stressed and kind of reacting in the... 
just everything from them their whole mindset was just so different joe and dan were like we've got this we're, we're in control so planned. yeah it was really really good and i think that it goes a long way to explaining why we saw nothing of them for three or four episodes mm. is because nothing's going wrong there, there's no there's no jeopardy you know everything is falling into place the hunters are nowhere near them there just is no story to tell until they get taunty and hilarious which is great uh, if they could have done that from episode one wow <laughs> one thing that tipped me off to that was the fact that towards the end we see that dan is actually wearing a proper cycling top yeah they yeah, planned yeah. it yeah and you can yep. tell and I've actually had in my notes, has Dan always been wearing a cycling top? Because I've never spotted it before. I don't remember. But it was really evident towards the end that actually they've planned that they're going to be cycling the canals. Mm-hmm. And you can tell it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we haven't we haven't seen them roughing it particularly. You know, they've been, they've been in pubs, they've been in guest houses. It feels to me like um, at every step of the way, they were so far ahead of the hunters that, that they were in complete control of this. And so yeah. they, they could choose what they wanted to do. It's interesting to contrast the, the two winning pairs in the fact that we've always been told that Bob and Alex have this massive network of masons that are never going to break. And yet it seems like Joe and Dan actually have the bigger, more reliable circle of friends in that respect. Yeah, it would seem so. Uh, you know, I, I I don't want this to sound glib, but it felt like they had a much easier twenty day, twenty five days than Bob and Alex. You know, I know it wouldn't have been easy emotionally. It was hard, and you're away from your families and all the rest of it. But I mean, physically, uh, it felt like they they got much more control over their environment. Well, they they did say at the end though that it was the worst Duke of Edinburgh they'd ever done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would say that probably cycling the canals of Great Britain isn't the worst way to spend 25 days on the run as well. No. Rather than roughing mm. it in a field. Mm-hmm. And we we have seen that Joe and Dan did camp occasionally, just not as much as Bob and Alex. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they haven't had it anything like as rough, I don't no. think. But hey, they all got there to the end, so that's what counts. I do have to pull them up on something, though. Ooh. When they were off on their bikes and they started singing... Um, one more day, one more day from Les Mis. They sang the wrong last line. <gasps> and I was appalled. Because they are singers. Um, they should know the last line, one day more. I'm yeah. like, why did they just sing that wrong? Yes, they sang that wrong. <laughs> but they can uh, certainly get away from the hunters. Well, I think they can afford to buy it on Blu-ray now and check it out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Were you annoyed that they sang the uh, the wrong lyrics last week and replaced them with "Oh Peter Blacksley"? No, because he was supposed to do that. That was fantastic. I would have been disappointed if they didn't sing the wrong lyrics last week. Anyway, Joe and Dan are friends of the podcast now, Michelle. Certainly, yeah. Dan has yeah. listened to all of our podcasts in the past week. That's fantastic. Hi, Dan. You need to look at Lamez properly. <laughs> And HQ sort of lose sight a little bit and lose hope. So they target Bob as the weak link and focus on finding cell dumps from around the village hall where he received his extraction info. Yeah. Now, you know when he made that phone call to arrange the lift to East Sussex? That didn't look like a mobile phone to me. That looked like a cordless landline phone. But it could have been like an old phone, I guess. could have been a really old mobile. But it was like big and chunky, like a landline. And he was in someone's house. So why would you use a cell phone if you're in someone's house? Surely it's much harder to track a landline because you've got to know what number you're looking for. 
Well, it, mm-hmm. the reason that they used it is to see who left around the right time and yeah. stopped for a while and all that sort of stuff. It wasn't necessarily identifying the phone that he used to arrange the lift. It was the, we're going to try and find someone who's left the area about the right time. Okay, feels like a bit of a stretch. But all right, we'll let that go. And also, <laughs> as we well know, there's there were probably hours of searches here. We've just seen the condensed version because this is a very tightly edited episode, especially. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it wasn't happening in real time. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, they could have just checked. It's a small village, I guess. They're just looking for any cell phone that's left the area around about time. Yeah, okay. I'll let them have that one. When we get to the end, I've got a little bit of um, little bit of gold command info for everybody. So. Oh, good. And HQ do eventually identify Sue Hewlett, who was actually Bob's driver. And he also has his friend Richard, who volunteers to drive him all the way to Devon. Which is helpful. And now, now the moment I think is going <laughs> to cause the most discussion, and I can already hear Ant giggling because he knows exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> the telephone exchange between Mark and Sue. Of, Hi, is that Sue? How did you get my number? <laughs> well, it's my job. But then, Mark lies about Bob's motives. And I had an extensive conversation with someone at work about this yesterday. About how, how immoral it is, basically. Yeah, it was just perfect. It's a game. Get over yourselves if you get in really... Oh my god, someone who's supposed to be a good guy actually told a lie. Oh, get over yourselves. It was just brilliant, and it just made me chuckle. It wasn't just a lie, it was an outrageous lie. That's the thing. Yes. It just went on and on. He That's didn't just tell it... one little lie. It yeah. had, like, sections. <laughs> <laughs> if Sue has spent hours with him, I suspect that she probably knew that he didn't have an ex-wife, because he would have been talking about Lynn, not just Alex. I would suspect that Bob's emotion about Alex's Asperger's is probably quite genuine. I don't think she was fooled for a second. Um, and, and that's why I don't see it as a big problem. I just think that's really, really entertaining. I think more than likely, they offered her some money off air. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is why she broke. Yeah. Rather than the, oh yeah, Bob is just a reprehensible person thing. And Alex befriends a lady called Nadine, who takes him to Torquay and arranges a stay with her friend Sally. Oh, I love those ladies. They are wonderful, aren't they? Aren't they great? So lovely. And there is more inspirational stuff about Alex's Asperger's, thanks to Nadine telling him to throw the excuse in the fields as they drive past. Yeah. Yeah, these, these sequences with Alex were sweet, were lovely. Really, really sweet. I've been saying for quite a while that Hunted has probably the best editing of any show that is still on air. It is beautifully edited every week, especially when they tell stories like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, if you don't watch many reality shows, this probably passes you by. But it is so important that they build a compelling story. And I know we bang on about winner edits. And winner edit isn't just revealing who's going to win. It's telling you why you should care that they win. And so Alex's winner edit is just beautiful because as the public response demonstrates, everybody is rooting for him. And so when he wins, the the whole viewership is like, yes, this is what was meant to happen. That is superb editing. Mm. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful editing. That's, that's the thing, because the best sort of reality TV shows have not just compelling characters, but characters you want to root for and characters yeah. that give you a reason to root for them. 
Yes. And yeah, we probably saw Alex and Bob get cast because of the masonry aspect and because of Alex's Asperger's and because they knew the sort of story that they would want to tell if they won. But that is not a reason to disparage them winning. That's the difference. And I haven't seen much hate towards them winning. I've seen a lot more, what, those guys won? To the Brewers of Swing. Which is why I'm sort of leaning towards defending them more in this episode. Well, I, I think that, be, that, like we've said, there there isn't much to tell because they led mm. such a great path. You know, they, they, they did it really, really well. And we saw this a little bit um, last time around, didn't we, where we saw lots of Nick's redemption story and his, his hero edit, whereas Io w- was kind of portrayed as the taunty guy. You've got to have that light and shade. You can't have two identical stories. Mm. So I think it's a surprise to some people that Joe and Dan won, just because they didn't see that much of them. We haven't seen that same gross arc out of them. But, you know, they both deserve to win because they both stayed on the run for 25 days. Yeah. I don't think it was a, a surprise to us, really, that they won. Given no. that if you don't see them, they can't catch them. Oh, yeah, mm. it's exactly that, exactly that. But it does show what, what a difference it makes when you get genuine empathy with the characters. Um, and, you know, compare and contrast with other shows that we're watching right now where we're over halfway through another reality show and I really don't care who wins. So it's very different. Yeah, with Amazing Race, I care who doesn't win. Yeah, a little bit of that. <laughs> I could live with it. <laughs> because I think there is a lot of one particular team having double standards, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, oh, this person oh. won't help me, even though I wouldn't help anyone. And lie to people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it feels like that's the only yeah. story that's going on in that show. Is is that's gonna that's gonna bite them? But but it's such a difference, you know. Who, who do we care about? Yeah. Whereas in other seasons of Amazing Race, we've cared about people because. Mm. Oh yeah, totally. And and it's not as though they've delved into their stories, you know, like Hunted has. No. It's just no. that I don't know that we just click with some characters more than others. I think with a show like Hunted, though, there is the scope to tell those better stories. Oh, yeah. You've, you've got fewer people mm-hmm. and you've got less other activity. You haven't, you haven't got challenges to be dealing with, yeah. have you? So it, it, you, you are just telling a story of, of what's happening with these people. So, yeah, they do it beautifully, but you're right. They do have much more of an opportunity than potentially any other show that we watch. Gosh, you just made me think of something then. What if they did have to do challenges on Hunted? What if they had to do like 10 things? You have to ride a bike. You have to swim in a river. You like these 10 things. That would be a show that used to be in the UK called Wanted. Yes. There was a a show which Hunted was originally compared to called Wanted, which was live every week. And it was people going on the run from professional manhunters, but it was a live show every week. So they had to do like a challenge like ice skate around this particular rink to win money. And that would obviously sort of make them put their head above the parapet for an hour a, a day or whatever. But Gosh. during the live show, each fugitive had to nominate a telephone box that they had to stay in for the entire hour. So it was genuinely tense television as people were ringing in tips, basically, to dob in these people as they were stood mm. literally in a phone booth and not allowed to leave. Oh, what mm-hmm. a nightmare. Yeah. It was um, it was an interesting concert and kind of ahead of its time, really. You can imagine you, you'd tweak it a lot, but you can imagine that working really well with today's sort of social media and stuff and having it alive. Yeah, I'm not sure they could do phone boxes anymore, though. No, that's what I mean. You'd, you'd have to tweak a little bit, but you could certainly take that concept and have a live wanted show in, in, mm. yeah, in the current climate, and I think it would be really interesting. 
I think there was a similar concept floated about a year ago in the States. It was an online-only show. I can't remember what it was called. The Runner. Yes, that was it. Yep. But compare, say, the Joe and Dan edit to Lee and Hilmar, because it's quite similar. Lee and Hilmar, we saw a little bit of every episode. Mm. Yeah. But they didn't really do much wrong. Yeah, we saw more of, of Lee and Hill, but also that was eight episodes. But we didn't really see much go wrong for them. No. Because uh, it's not, it's not. There's nothing to tell, is there? You know, um, we saw a little bit of that with Nick. You know, we we had to keep in touch with Nick because he was winning. So we got lots of narrative from him, just wandering around talking about his childhood and stuff. Because there was nothing else. Um, I think that's potentially why it was a better last episode this year because there was some genuine drama and tension with Bob and Alex. But yeah, if if there's no, if they're not getting close to court, what are you talking about? Them just chilling out, going, yep, we're in the middle of nowhere and um, everything's good. Yeah. But in a similar way to Lee and Hill, we did see, especially towards the last few episodes, a bit of peppering of Joe and Dan. Yes, we're still here and yes, we're still going to win. Yeah. Even if it was only a minute segments every time, we were always reminded that they existed. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The the last thing you want is to forget about who's winning your show. Like Pennywise and Henry VIII. Yeah. (laughs) Or for that matter, Stephen and Martin. Yes. Well, they've clearly some, they've learnt. <laughs> and Alex says that he loves the women and they love him. He's got charm he didn't know he had. Oh, so adorable. So sweet. It's lovely. And Richard drops Bob off in Seaton in Devon. And HQ work out that there is a fugitive exchange somewhere. <sighs> oh, so tense. And finally, 24 days into the hunt, we see the wanted posters. Yeah, no, it just felt like someone had gone, guys, um, I, I just realised I've, I've got this um, this poster on my laptop. Was I supposed to put that out somewhere? I don't know. It's just one day to go. Really? <laughs> Come on. Genuinely, the wanted posters did not go on until day 24. It was just bonkers. Because this is how I knew that this was the final four. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. And how they all made it to day 24. But interestingly, this is also the point where we see that Bob says he had no ambition and that this has given him a new lease of life. Yeah, and this was a turnaround point for me. I think I think by this stage I'd already said to you, Bob's getting caught, and you'd said, oh, hang with it. And then this came up and I was like, nah, he's fine. <laughs> yeah, this was the point where the ailing story kind of converged, yeah. I would say. Father and son both basically finding themselves as fugitives. Mm-hmm. Not as beautiful as Alex's television, but it was beautiful television regardless. Mm. And Bob says that he has a 20-mile hike left to go, and nothing will stop him. Nothing. They'll have to chain him down. Yep. Apart from, you know, the sighting in the Teen Valley. <laughs> so someone does dob him in, and... The rats! Rats! Nick and Danny and Mark and Carl are sent to investigate, and Black says that he wants a late capture. Nothing mm. warms his heart more than a late capture. <laughs> and then we get a disgusting scene from Joe and Dan where they say they've been turning their pants inside out. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow Joe manages to magically find a completely clean bear. <laughs> like he's like, Magic. Oh, yeah. Bottom oh, of you, his bag. oh, you want some clean pants, mate? Oh, why didn't you ask? I've had them in bag for like 24 days. There you go. You have been students, haven't you, Joe and Dan? Isn't that sort of the point of being a student, is to be that disgusting? And even they get a 
reason to win, which is, of course, their families. Yeah. And now everyone basically gets together in Chudley. Chudley I love it. Chudley, the fugitive capital of the UK. That's so cool. This is a question. You know how Bob can hear the drone and 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 or helicopter or something, but we never hear the lads hear it as well. It's true. Time, timings. Yeah, timings probably not quite lined up just yet. Uh, obviously, they do <laughs> at one point. But... Yeah, the the voiceover guy did say that Bob was only three fields away from where that drone was. How big those yeah. fields are, I'm not sure. No, it did look fairly vast, actually, on the map. So. I, th- I think he was probably about two and a half, three miles away in reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was worried for Bob, but also every time he talked, I sort of wanted to laugh because, you know, something's happening and he's going, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> he's so frustrated with everything yeah. and he just wants to get to the end. I think Bob hated every second of the last few days. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can I can certainly empathise with that. <laughs> it was not fun for him. And he walks through Chudley, which has loads of CCTV, and two mysterious cyclists who look awfully like the brothers of Swing go past. That was just bizarre, wasn't it? It's like what? It's the sort of thing you can imagine us having asked for previously. Is oh yeah, can the fugitives cross over, please? That'd be awesome. Because we've <laughs> never had that before, so please let that happen. But it does raise an interesting question, which is. Can fugitives dob each other in? Well, it certainly seemed like it, didn't it? Um, yeah. you know, Where would be the sense? Well, because... You could you, get more prize money. Well, you, well, yeah, but also you're diverting the hunters, aren't you? So if you can somehow get far enough away, but you know they're still roughly there, I would then... Uh, I, I wouldn't, because I'm not that kind of person. But if you were a fugitive who wanted to do that, then you just put in an anonymous tip, say, I've seen this bog geezer in Chudley. And then all the hunters, because it's so close to the end, they all converge. Meanwhile, you slip away. It's an interesting tactic, which is, of course, ethically and morally corrupt, which is why I wasn't at all surprised that Io said, I'd do that in a heartbeat. (laughs) (laughs) I would totally dob them in on day 24. I'd do anything to get to the end. Good on you, mate. But also, surely they would probably work out your voice, because I would assume, especially with someone like Joe and Dan, where they've heard them sing... I would assume if you hear someone from Preston say, oh yeah, he's in Chudley, you're probably going to be a little bit suspicious of who the caller is. And if they work out who the caller is, you're only building a rod for your own back. You've heard Joe and Dan do impressions, it'd be fine. In fact, if anything, it would just confuse them more. They'd be like, the Chief's just called in with an anonymous tip. This is bizarre. Why, why didn't he just come and tell us? <laughs> And there is another sighting of Bob from the locals. So Black sends in some drones and some dogs. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, first, dogs. First Hold on. Dogs. Oh, scary. I don't like it when they release the hounds. <laughs> I'm assuming that the dogs aren't, aren't sort of the attack dogs where they will bite you. I don't think so. I think they're more tracker dogs, aren't they? Bob is next to the A383 in a field, and thanks to a knee injury, he has stopped for the day. Yeah, and he's not happy. <laughs> like, of all the places, I'm sat next to an A-road. It just felt like at any minute they could just drive up. Which they probably could. If they had oh. any clue where he was. <laughs> the drone spots a heat signal, and because it's a cliffhanger over an ad break, it's a negative. Of course. 
it, it didn't feel like that fully played out, to be honest. It felt like they, they'd found a heat signal of something and then it didn't really go anywhere. And then the next scene suddenly cuts to a guy walking down the street looking for ducks. It's like, what? where did that come from? He's taking mm-hmm. some stock footage of a different show or something. It's totally random. Where did the duck hunter come from? The duck hunter. <laughs> <laughs> And the Devonian weather puts a stop to the drone, because apparently drones can't fly in anything other than bright sunshine. That's true. I've got a little drone, and it has to be, like, perfect. Even even the slightest breeze, and it just... just rubbish. Terrible. Technology. Just rubbish. <laughs> My favourite thing is they did have to have a little helipad for it. That was ridiculous, wasn't it? <laughs> What kind of a, a geek has to... No, I must land it on the correct place in the middle of this massive, great big field. Why? It must be on my helipad. Yes, otherwise the uh, the feet may get dirty. Ah, oh, ridiculous. But funny. I was trying to work out, Anthony, then, if you were like Wallace from Wallace and Gromit, <laughs> or if you were like someone like David Attenborough. That's just my um, sad, geeky science voice. <laughs> it's it's loosely based on a children's TV character called the Anorak from many years ago. Showing your age, yeah. There was a TV character named after a jacket. Well, an Anorak is sort of a, a term for someone very geeky as well as a jacket. Yeah, so someone who oh. would wear an Anorak would be very geeky. So hence, they are an Anorak. Think like. The sort of people who train spot and plane spot and things yeah. like that. Yeah, that's a, a good definition of an anime. I'm fully aware that our target market for this podcast is probably those sort of people, so I'm not criticising anyone. <laughs> Just, you're a little bit anoraki. <laughs> I would be shocked if we do not have anyone who is a plane spotter or a train spotter who listens. I, I, yeah, I think that would be a very, very likely outcome that there are. We all know that Benji slash Sherlock um, has a model train set in his in his uh, garage. Of course. I could imagine him uh, conducting a model train set, actually. <laughs> My father-in-law has a model train set. It, it's in a whole bedroom, and he's cut walls in wardrobe so that the train can go through the wardrobe onto the other side of the room. Lovely. Yep. Okay. So is he an anorak? Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> We had your proposal story last week, and now we have stories about your father-in-law. There you go. I, th- I think Michelle's going on to win this podcast. We're getting loads of backstory. <laughs> <laughs> How much do I get? <laughs> and on day 25, everyone in Hunted HQ, for some reason, is already there at 6am. Yeah, bright and well, it's final day. Yeah, I'm assuming the, the hunting period was extended to begin at 6am that day. Yeah. CCTV shows both Joe and Dan and Bob in Chudley. Oh, Steve gets excited about this, doesn't he? We were looking for Bob. We found Dan! <laughs> we're in the right area. <laughs> and Flex does want his beloved clean sweep. And someone did ask Flex whether he's ever going to actually win a series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Billing. Would, would it happen? I don't know. Would, would it make a good show? It's no. the big question, isn't it? I can't see it. Depends how they told the story. I don't think that they're ever going to want a series where the Hunters win. I don't think so. They would have to really, really change the whole slant of the show, wouldn't they? Uh, They would have to cast people that nobody liked for a start. They would Mm. have to 
um, just really spin it on its head so that it was them protecting us from these horrible people that were on the run. It would be a very hard one to pull off, I think. In other words, the, the only series that Ant would get on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the public would hate it, though, because they'd, they'd all of a sudden, they'd say, oh, it's all rigged against them. They yeah. can't possibly ever win. Yeah. And, you know, the public would have a field day. Which, to be fair, they say already, given the yeah. current circumstances, in every series we've seen, people have won, yes. and they still think it's rigged. I am disappointed that Blex did not answer any of my questions, though. Didn't he? No. Not even the duck one. No, Michelle didn't see any of my questions because she literally watched the episode about an hour ago. Okay. What What are your questions? I asked Blex, and as soon as this was announced right after the episode kind of went out, so I started furiously tweeting as many questions as I could think of. So I said, who would you rather have do an impression of you, Brothers of Swing or Ant? Then okay. I said, would you rather fight a dozen duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? <laughs> who would win in a fight between a badger and a baboon? Uh, what's your favourite type of olive? Rank your deputies, give reasons... And my final one was, why didn't Benji slash Sherlock do his final day capture attempt? That was disappointing. It's the one thing that we look out for every series, and he let us down. Oh, dear. Why would Blake sound to you? He's probably thinking that annoying little git. (laughs) (laughs) As he would probably say in real life. I'm sure he'd be much stronger than that. As we discussed last (laughs) week, all I want is for Blake to just swear at me so I can make it my text tone. (laughs) Oh. As if you will. And five pairs of Ground Hunter teams are in the southwest, so HQ call in a favour and get a chopper. Which I did find out from the preview last week is actually based in Devon as well. It's registered to a Devon company. Yeah, yeah, you, you checked out the call sign. And you... I did. Hang on. What the hell? Why are you checking that out? Because, Michelle, we still didn't officially know where the extraction area was, and if you know, we could blatantly see the call sign. In the same way that I did this for um, for Lee and Hillmar's friend Tim, Pilot Tim, uh, I checked yes. out his calls okay. just just for funsies, basically. But because <laughs> we didn't know the official area the extraction point was going to be in until Stephen confirmed it for us, it was interesting to see where it's registered to because it's registered to a Devonian company, so it was more than likely going to be Devon. How do you look up something like that? You Google it. Do you just, you just Google, Google it? Yeah, you can, you, you, you can Google, Google, that, the, co- you can Google the call sign. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You can do that for any plane. If you look at any plane, you can see where it is in the world using mm-hmm. the call signs. Really? Mm-hmm. You don't have to go on a special app or a nope. special website and put it in that website? No, it's literally Google. You Google it oh. and then uh, you'll get taken to the, the websites of the sort of anoraks who put this together. Google is the best thing in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Even more so than your children, Michelle. Google's fantastic. <laughs> Avoided that question there. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob wakes up absolutely drenched in his tent. What a shit Poor guy. Jesus, he's, he's having a hard time. He is, isn't he? He has put in the hard oh. yards to win this money. And Got he leaves everything. Yep. And then Steve, definitely not related to my cousin's boyfriend, uh, spots the river dart in the area, and Sherlock decides that they are searching every single one of the 25 peers where they could extract. Yeah. And at this point, David Tollington must be thinking, what the hell, Steve? This is my job. I'm I'm the guy who finds the boats. What are you doing? We all have our our roles in this conversation, Steve, and yours is silence. (laughs) Yes. Butt out, bitch. I'm the boat guy here. Six episodes I've been waiting to find a boat, 
and then you come in with your, it must be on the River Dart shit. What's going on? My time in the Canadian Royal Navy was for nothing. Yeah. If some pretender who isn't even related to a podcaster's cousin's boyfriend is just butting in. God damn it. Bob ends up less than uh, a mile away, and at one fifty pm 70 minutes before the extraction, he hears the chopper overhead, oh. and he would never get over being caught. Never. Never get over this. God, that was so tense at that point. Oh. Really was. And the ground hunters spread out to look at all 25 of the peers, and we see Alex under a blanket in the back of a car. And he questioned himself at the start, just in case he didn't think he was going to win. We get one <laughs> final confessional from Alex saying that he's found self-worth. Yeah, he questioned himself at the start, oh. and regardless of the results, has found comfort in his own skin. Yeah, uh, there was some real Nick flashbacks here, and it was, you know, I asked myself, do I have any value? Can I do oh something God. as incredible as this? Yes, you can, Alex. You so can. That was so sad. I found that so sad. Everyone has value. It's heartwarming, though, to see the response on social media to Alex, especially, though. Yes. Him and Bob did a video for Hunted HQ Twitter that was released a few hours ago. Where... Yeah, I just saw it a minute ago. I was looking at it while talking here, and I thought, I want to watch this. I can't watch it. Where it's just really adorable that they they find it so heartwarming that people have started supporting them. And also, I loved the fact that in that video, there was Pointless on the TV. Yeah, that was the best bit. Just in the pointless. background, Pointless was showing on the TV. So good. And Joe and Dan are in Brixham in what looks like a bed and breakfast. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> life's tough on the road for those guys. And Bob walks down the country lanes as cars drive fast. What is he doing? And Alex says that he wants his dad, and he makes a run for it out of the car. Bob throws his jacket and hat into the fields around the country lanes. And him and Alex meet, and hug, and cry. And it's incredibly powerful television. And I'm assuming this is the point where Michelle started absolutely bawling. Yeah, definitely she was the only podcaster crying at that point, I'm sure. sure. I did get <clears> here <throat> in my eye. It's brilliant. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic television. Yeah. And the chopper, however, spots them. Now, this is the point where yeah. we, we all go, oh my god, we've been waiting for their reunion, but can they actually win? Yeah. Yes. And this is where it all started to get a little bit confusing for me because it was like, well, they can see where they are, so why can't they get to where they are? I don't because they were on the wrong side bit. of the river, weren't they? Yeah, but how? How does that happen? And surely if the helicopter spotted them, then you'll be able to tell them where they are, but hey. I'm assuming that they were checking out stuff on the other side of the river. Just but by there chance. there were three cars on one side, three cars on the other side. They showed that on the map. Yeah, and, the, and then the chopper spotted them and everyone went shit we're on the wrong side unlike most times when we see this sort of thing it actually was a lot closer than you think mm. genuinely mm. it wasn't a oh we just missed some situation like we usually get it was an actually yeah if we'd have made the right judgment call on what side of the river we probably would have got a clean sweep this time mm. yeah yeah it was incredibly close and as joe and dan are driving to or being driven to the extraction point uh, they already have gopros on Oh, where were they? Were they wearing them on the chest? On the chest, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. And in a moment of unintentional humour, Bob can't put a life jacket on as well. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> that? Funny. Right at that point, you're like, "Come on, come on, come on! I can't get it on!" <laughs> <laughs> oh 
man. <laughs> Can you imagine getting caught because you couldn't quite get your life jacket on in time? Oh, man. Joe and Dan weren't even wearing theirs. I know. I don't know how they got away with that. It's very naughty. Bob and Alex do end up getting on their shuttle and boarding the Rebel Lady. And officially, HQ can't catch them anymore. And it's very emotional. And Alex's oh, face was death. Yeah. It was lovely. And they're hugging and they're crying and it's just amazing. And despite the hunters commandeering their own barge, basically, Joe and Dan also board their shuttle and it's game over and everyone wins. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so this must have been such a close time frame because, you know, from Bob and Alex getting on the boat, there couldn't have been time for the hunters to do anything before suddenly Joe and Dan are appearing as well. The hunters were probably two minutes behind at most. Yeah, it feels like that. Because um, they could see Joe and Dan shuttle. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Which which was good. I, I like the fact that there was like a, a special police rib set up to get them away. Because imagine if they, they got caught just because they couldn't get there quick enough. That would have been awful. And Joe and Dan describe it as the worst Duke of Edinburgh assignments ever. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> Great line. And that is the series. Series 4 applications are open, I think. I've heard it has now been confirmed by Channel 4, so... Yeah, applications are open. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go ahead, but it's a certainly a, a good sign. Apparently Channel 4 have now confirmed Series 4 is a go. Oh, okay. Cool. From what I've been hearing. So, yeah, that's our series. Done. Another done. one done. Brilliant. Just just brilliant. It was. Mm-hmm. It was an absolutely fantastic series, especially when you compare it to this slightly mediocre version of Amazing Grace we're currently got. So, um, so do you want to hear what Kevin has to say? I do, of course. I want yes. to hear what Kevin, o- Kevin O'Leary, a friend of the podcast, wants to say. So, um, so I, I DM'd him the other day and said, "Okay, now the series is over. Can can I ask you a couple of questions?" And he said, "You can, but bear in mind there is a fine line between making things clearer and ruining the show." So I trod <laughs> trod very very carefully. <laughs> so the first question I said was. How much legwork do the hunters need to do before you release something? I.e., what's to stop them going on a fishing trip and just asking for everything that you've got? And he replied with, I think the hunters would complain how strict I am about this. For me, I have to think about how it scans for the viewer as well and what would happen in a real investigation. Uh, I don't have control over the edit, so an added factor is time compression necessary to get 25 days and hundreds of hours uh, footage into six episodes. It's like a challenge in 3D. Uh, I don't simply give them everything they ask for. Uh, among my jobs as a senior detective was response to kidnap as a negotiator. The pace and intensity of a kidnap is the closest hunted gets to the work involved in the fast-moving high-stakes investigation. They will either pick up on a lead in good time or events move on so quickly it becomes stale. Often they can be hours or day behind and sometimes they get a breakthrough that gets them to a live pursuit. So that was... Mm confirming pretty much what we what we hope to be true. Yeah, a very detailed answer and basically confirming exactly what we suspected. Yeah, yeah, you do the work, you ask for something specific, and they'll do it. So so leading on from that, I, um, I said, so the time compression is one thing we always find interesting. Would it be fair to say, when the hunters arrive at a location to find the fugitive has moved on, that there may be more of a time gap than there appears to be? Um, and then I kind of followed that up with... Um, does it sometimes happen that you retrofit scenes to explain something that happened um, 
like, for example, when they switched attention from the Freemasons and onto Lynn. Um, and he was very honest about this. And he said, well, an edit can be a work in progress month after the shoot. And there are production teams during the shoot working on a, a, content, a contemporaneous log of what happened. Um, there's so much work to keep the integrity of everything under scrutiny. Bear in mind, there is a prize, so Ofcom rules apply, which I think we've mentioned. Which, weirdly, is a conversation I was having on, on Bother's Bar last week, because Brig did ask me directly, what makes you think that they can't just rig it, basically? Well, there you go. There's defini- definitive answer. There's a prize, so Ofcom hits. And Brig did send a lovely message last week saying he's not watching Hunted, but has been listening to our podcast anyway because he loves how passionate we are. Yeah. Which is awesome. Hello, Nick. That is your answer. I know Bodicum said that actually the rules don't necessarily apply, but everyone has enough integrity, I think, is the answer, that they would stick to the rules even if they don't apply. Yeah, and and just to pick up on the out-of-sequence stuff, so Kevin did say he's not aware of any sequences that that are jigged to make it look um, out of order. He keeps notes about the decisions and everything that happens. He gets to see the episodes before they go out and looks for anything that doesn't scan with his understanding of how things happened. Uh, It says for him, the investigation has to stack up, and he does have a say in the way that this plays out. The one thing I think... um... It wasn't something I was really able to articulate when I was having this conversation on, on BB. But everyone involved on the Hunter side is like former or current intelligence services, Royal Marines, Navy, etc. So they have sort of a, a code of integrity. Mm-hmm. And like they're not going to be involved in something that has shadiness to it. And yeah, they can't show everything in the investigations and they can't show... Obviously, they can't show everything that happened because there is 25 days, as as Kevin O'Leary said. But there's enough integrity in that building that they wouldn't jeopardise it, I don't think. No, no, you're right. and no. Because it would go wider than just impact on the show, wouldn't it? It's their reputation that would be in touch. And they all, they all have day jobs. You know, most of them are sort of investigators or consultants, security consultants, things like that. And it would just ruin their credibility generally, wouldn't it? Well, exactly. Yeah. Did KOL say anything else? No, I left it at that because I felt like if I ask any more, we're in danger of, of ruining it. But that, that felt to me, yeah, it felt to me like that was enough to clear up any people saying it's rigged. No, it's not. Yeah. It's all under scrutiny. Ofcom would go ballistic if they found out it was rigged. Um, and, you know, they run it like a real investigation. You ask the right questions, you will get the right answers. Do you think that it would have been a good tactic for Bob to go to the other side of the country and try and mislead the hunters? Uh, yeah, I think it potentially would. Um, I, I was, I was kind of thinking that might be what happened, um, and they certainly thought on it. You know, when they when they first saw Bob in Devon, I think it was Black that said, "Is this just a ruse to draw us in the wrong direction so Alex can slip under the radar?" It would have been a, an amazing tactic. I was thinking about this because I think on the surface you'd say, "Yeah, actually, it's a great story for a father to fall on his sword for his son," but also. I know they're not just playing for the money, but they're giving away seventeen grand by doing that. Yeah. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? Because if Bob and Alex each got twenty-five grand from winning, which yes. we saw in the episode, if Bob had gone up to the Highlands of Scotland to try and mislead the hunters, mm. it would have been three people splitting it, and Alex would have only got thirty-three grand. Right. I was just thinking it would go half because it's one team. Even though the other team only has one person. No, it's literally anyone who makes it there shares the money. 
Has that ever happened? No. Well, the example that we've got is is Io. Io got fifty grand. Oh yeah, Io. He didn't did have I to split it with Manu. Yeah, Io got fifty. I'm sure he did. Yeah, but yeah. I, he didn't right. have to. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, I guess it would depend on how you felt at the time. Bob must have felt confident enough that he could make it to the finish line. And actually, you know, either way, there's risk, isn't there? If you, if you draw them away and they come after you and Alex makes it, then you're a genius. But what if they just completely ignore it, realise it's a ruse, you don't make it to the extraction point and they catch Alex anyway, you get nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly a question that having a father-son team raises. Because mm. we haven't had any parent-child teams before. No, I could see it. I could only see it happening in the, the last few minutes. Maybe he does something that, you know, ties them up, catching him, which means Alex can make the last 100 yards or something crazy like that. I, I think it would be too risky to do it as a tactic days out. Yeah, so if they're running towards each other and hug and cry and all that sort of stuff, and then Bob says, just trust me on this, and then runs in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah, and the hunters all grab him, and meanwhile, he's on the boat. Yeah, that I could see happening, because I think that's that's a feasible explanation, and it's, it's a good balancing of risk. But they didn't need to, because they all made it. Hurrah! And also, it would make a great TV moment. That would be brilliant. Bob could have lied down in the middle of the road, so the car couldn't get past. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking of it purely as the sort of person who has to podcast this, I go, oh, that would have been a good moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, think about it. That would have been cracking television. Yeah. And weirdly, Ant isn't the only person who's got DMs this week. Ah, good. Ant knows exactly who I'm going to talk about. Um, I got a, a DM from none other than the Brothers of Swing. Yes. Saying that we're in Manchester in a couple of weeks and do you want to meet? <gasps> no way! And I've deliberately kept this from you till the end of the podcast, Michelle. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> meet, I'm meeting uh, Joe and Dan in a couple of weeks. Yeah, no. And I can't make it because my wife is away that weekend. He got an invite as well. <laughs> no way. I'm sure your boys can go on a play date somewhere. Bring him with you. Have you got a brother or a sister? Yeah, Put he lives in Sweden. Put them over there for the weekend. <laughs> Kidding me? You can put them somewhere. I will catch up with them, no doubt. Send them to Sweden for the week. It's off to him anyway. <laughs> It'd be fine. Dad needs to to go meet some uh, some strangers from the internet. Some yeah. strange men, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but coming off the back of that, I will say anyone involved with Hunted who is in the area, let me know. Yeah. I am not picky. I will pick your brain, but I'm not picky. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we need to discuss. I don't think there is. No, no, I just can't wait for the next series. I hope they bring it back in September rather than January. That would be nice. Selfishly, I don't, because I'm not here in October. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're away for a bit. I would much rather it comes back in January, personally. I just can't wait. Um, and it would be great if CBS would get their finger out and actually do something, but I'm starting to think that's not going to happen. No, I, I think it would be nice to see them try and make a few tweaks to the American one, like not do the stupid twist at the end. Yeah. But we got Lee and Hilmar out of it. It's not the worst thing in the world. No, I, th- I thought they did a brilliant job of it, um, and it seemed to be very popular. So I'm wondering what what's the hold-up? Well, it took them two years to actually pull the fingers out and do it, didn't it? Because mm. I think they bought the rights during Series 1, yeah, and then they only filmed it directly after Series 2. Yeah. Mm. Having said that, CBS is the sort of network that's currently focusing on those arseholes they brought over to Amazing Race. So mm. what what logic can we bring? 
Yeah, and when, and when that creativity level goes to let's just do Celebrity Big Brother, then maybe maybe they're not in a place to think about it. Celebrity Big Brother, populated by most people who've been on our Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. So, yeah, I think that is the the end of our Series 3 coverage. It has been a fantastic series, and I've made no secret of the fact that I have loved doing every podcast. Yes, as as we have each time with the show. It's, it's such a fun show to talk about. The people that are involved in it are just unbelievably lovely and wonderful. So, you know, I, I just wish all shows were that much fun. I will say that... It has shocked me this series how much feedback we've had off people involved in the show from all the way at the top with Kevin O'Leary to a lot of the Hunters to the final six fugitives have all contacted us now and listened to the podcast and given us feedback and all that sort of fun stuff. And it is truly lovely for us to do this show and to know that people who frankly know better than we do about it are still listening and enjoying what we do because we love what we do feels like we're in an echo chamber sometimes and it is genuinely heartwarming to have a show like this and amazing vs asia as well where frankly it's just fun for us because sometimes doing two podcasts a week is a slog michelle is up in about 12 hours let's be honest to talk to me again about amazing race (laughs) yes (laughs) actually less than that because i think we're recording about 11 o'clock my time oh what's that like now 10 o'clock your time Oh, that's okay. That's okay. You get a lion. We've already arranged this. You get a lion. (laughs) Yeah, doing two podcasts a week can be a bit of a slog sometimes because I don't get much of a weekend. Officially, I'm on call today, so I can just edit this the rest of the day, but it can be a slog. So to have fun shows like Hunted to talk about is a genuine privilege for us. Yeah, absolutely. I would echo that. It's been, uh, been as fun as ever. It has. And I guess we will be back when when the chase begins from somewhere in the Highlands or Edinburgh or somewhere. We need to predict where the next start point is going to be, actually, probably. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, somewhere remote. Somewhere remote. I don't know. Hmm. We'll have to think about that. I'd like to see more of um, Scotland because mm. it's so beautiful up there. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we get an Edinburgh start point, to be fair, because we've had London, Manchester and Birmingham. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. North. Hmm. Edinburgh would be my suspicion, though. Yeah, that would be good. Because they seem to love sending them to Scotland anyway. Yeah, they do always seem to end up in Scotland. Because it's remote. Mm. So, is there anything else to say about this series? No, I wish there was, because uh, I don't want it to be over, Michael. I know, I'm I'm genuinely quite sad right now that we're winding down the, the Series 3 stuff. It's a good series. I'm glad Alex and Bob won. But I guess if, if, yeah, I I thought it was brilliant. I guess if anyone's listening who's got something to talk about, we could kind of extend Series 3 by having some interviews. Perhaps. If anyone wants to, let us know. Yep. We would be. Yes, we've done it before. We can do it again. We have. It was very pleasant to speak to to Lee and Hilmar about Hunted and forget that actually CBS weren't listening, even though they were supposed to. Mm. (laughs) Still better. Oh no, we asked questions that we may not have been allowed to ask, didn't we? No, I'm 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 better that they had to dial in rather than do the Skype and it would have been better audio quality for me. Yeah. I'm picky. <laughs> <laughs> You've done this for too long now, Michael. I have it far too long. So thank you for listening all series to our hunted podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure for all of us involved. 
Michelle and I are continuing recapping Amazing Race 30 for the next few weeks before Ant, Logan and I start our Belgian Mall podcast. Yay! If you've got any questions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, Reality TV Warriors, on our Twitter account, RTV Warriors, or our own Twitter pages, MJ Hamstone for me, Bulls Boy for Anthony, and Bear 3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-